The Daily 202's Big Idea is supported by Battelle. For 90 years, the employees of Battelle have solved the world's most challenging problems, finding solutions and really big ideas. At Battelle, it can be done. Learn more at battelle.org slash 90. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, September 13th. In today's news, the Justice Department appears poised to indict former acting FBI director Andrew McCabe. President Trump moves to roll back environmental protections in Alaska and California. And the administration is also pushing Honduras to accept more asylum seekers, even though the country is violent and unstable. But first, the big idea. There were brief calls for unity and then a free-for-all. Joe Biden began last night's third presidential debate in Houston with an aggressive defense of his health care proposal, attacking Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren for their Medicare for All plan. He said it's unworkable, too costly, and a betrayal of Barack Obama's signature legislative achievement. The trio at the center of the stage, Biden, Sanders, and Warren, have consistently held the top places in the polls, with the rest of the candidates trailing far behind and therefore growing increasingly desperate. And that showed last night. Warren, who has been ascendant in the polls this summer, spent long stretches without speaking, and she didn't end up challenging Biden directly in their first face-to-face debate. But the nearly three-hour discussion appeared to do little to change the overall contours of the Democratic primary, with few standout moments or major missteps. One, though, the biggest flashpoint of the night, came when Julian Castro, Barack Obama's former housing secretary, went after Biden hard early on. But it backfired. Castro questioned Biden's memory and claimed that Biden was not adequately fulfilling Obama's legacy. At one point, Castro, who's only 44, said to Biden, quote, are you forgetting what you said two minutes ago? He was alluding to questions about the 76-year-old's age and mental acuity, but Castro botched it. He misrepresented what Biden had said two minutes earlier, and Biden had not, in fact, forgotten. Other candidates on stage, including A.B. Klobuchar, said that the attack was out of line. A house divided cannot stand, she said. And Castro's stridency made Biden look more sympathetic. So did protesters who interrupted him while he was talking about losing his wife and young daughter in the 1970s. To be sure, though, Biden didn't have a flawless performance. He had several gaffes and occasionally repeated himself. At one point, he said all nonviolent offenders shouldn't serve time in prison. After the debate, he had to go into the spin room to clarify that he meant nonviolent drug offenders. At another point, talking about segregation, Biden mused that parents should play record players in their homes for kids to listen to music when they're young so that they can learn words that they don't hear in bad schools. It was a reminder of the generational contrast in this race. Beto O'Rourke was praised by several of his rivals who no longer find him threatening for his response to last month's mass shooting in El Paso that killed 22 people. O'Rourke emphasized his plan for a mandatory government buyback of assault weapons. Asked if he's calling for confiscation, the former congressman said, quote, Hell yes, we're going to take your AR-15, your AK-47. Biden pressed on why he could be trusted to enact major new gun restrictions, given his failure to do so as vice president after the 2012 massacre at an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut, insisted that the political landscape has changed. But Biden, in an effort to seem pragmatic and reasonable as the Democratic Party has lurched leftward, explained that there are limits to what a president can do. He said that the assault weapons ban that Kamala Harris has proposed to enact 
via executive order is infeasible. Harris shot back and said, instead of saying, no, we can't, let's say, yes, we can. Biden's response was, let's be constitutional. And that's the big idea. Here are three other brief headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, the Justice Department authorized prosecutors to charge former acting FBI director Andy McCabe, alleging that he lied to investigators about his contacts with the media. A top official in Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen's office notified McCabe's team that his appeal to Rosen to abandon the case had failed. McCabe's team had been told last month that line prosecutors recommended charges and later that U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu of the District of Columbia had endorsed that decision. Liu and Rosen are both Trump appointees. McCabe's team had then appealed to Rosen in what was considered one of his final chances to persuade officials not to move forward and seek an indictment from a grand jury. His legal team had been waiting for a response. The notification was notable in its own right, but particularly suggestive that charges were imminent because a federal grand jury investigating McCabe was suddenly recalled this week after a months-long hiatus. But then the panel was released Thursday with no immediate signs of an indictment. This could be a sign that the grand jury balked, though it's also possible they filed a determination under seal or could be asked to return later. To bring an indictment, prosecutors would need to persuade 12 of the 23 grand jurors to sign on to the decision. If grand jurors turn the federal prosecutors down, it's possible for them to call in a new group, though they did then have to restart the entire process. Number two, the Trump administration announced that it will seek to open up the entire coastal plain of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil and gas exploration. In filing an environmental impact statement, the Interior Department's Bureau of Land Management took a key step closer to holding an oil and gas lease sale for the 1.6 million acre coastal plain, which is part of the 19 million acre ANWR. The administration said its preferred plan would call for the construction of as many as four places for airstrips and well pads, 175 miles of roads, vertical supports for pipelines, a seawater treatment plant, and a barge landing and storage site. The White House is also moving forward with its plan to strip California of its authority to set its own vehicle greenhouse gas standards. Trump met with senior officials yesterday at the White House to discuss the administration's plan to revoke California's waiver under the Clean Air Act to set its own requirements for vehicles. Number three, thousands of migrants fleeing persecution, most from Central America, line up every day at the southern border, hoping for asylum in America. The Supreme Court's ruling the day before yesterday makes almost all of them ineligible to get asylum. It is likely to affect hundreds of thousands of migrants traveling through Mexico to reach the U.S., even if they have legal and legitimate asylum claims. And the Trump administration is now pushing Honduras, a violent and unstable country, to accept more of those asylum seekers. It's one of the poorest and most violent nations in the Western Hemisphere. Anti-government protests have swept the capital. Its president is fending off allegations by U.S. prosecutors that he financed his campaign with narco-cash. Hundreds of thousands of citizens have fled, but the Trump administration wants Honduras to sign a migration deal that could require it to take in the U.S.-bound asylum seekers. American officials are seeking to establish what they call safe third country deals throughout Central America. The goal is to diminish the crush of asylum seekers at our border. Authorities already have pressed Panama and Guatemala to sign such accords. Honduran officials have confirmed that the talks are ongoing, but they've been guarded about the details. 
And that's The Daily 202 for this Friday the 13th. I'm James Holman. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday.